Hello, and welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today I am joined by Colt Briner. Colt, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm not your host. I'm Colt Briner. I have been a marketing executive for about 20 years, working mostly with early and mid-stage B2B companies. Yes, and you have been on the podcast before, and we had a very interesting conversation about nonviolent communication. Sure. Today, we're moving into, I would call this a new strategy that you are pioneering and seeing quite a bit of success with, and I'm, I'm going to let you just run with the intro on, on what it is we're talking about. Right on. So what I'm working with here is kind of flipping the script on thought leadership. So thought leadership, of course, being that you are leveraging, hopefully, your internal experts and not just some writer off the streets to come up with content that reflects the strength of your innovation or you know what new ideas that you have or how you're being disruptive or that type of thing. I do like thought leadership. I think it is a strong strategy. But what we've done here is we've kind of flipped that script so that rather than showcasing the expertise of your own organization, what you're doing is you're creating a platform through which you can showcase the expertise of your targets. So these are people, generally, if you're in a, in a circumstance where you have like a complex enterprise selling sort of context and it's relationship-based, you need to build relationships in order to close deals, so you've got high-ticket sales items um, or solutions, it's very valuable to build relationships with your prospects. And I have found this thought followership concept to be a really effective way to do that. So rather than reaching out and saying, can we get you on a demo for the next hour? It's we really want to add your voice to this critical dialogue that we're hosting in this industry to move it forward in some significant way. And there are a lot of reasons I love this, but let's let's break it down a little bit about why this attracts people versus the pitch. And I think you're tapping into human nature here and we all love to be told that we're experts and we're really good at something. And this is a great foray into establishing a relationship with somebody. So are you finding that the flattery is, is definitely working? Yeah, yeah, it, it is. So you have to approach it correctly, right? So the outreach has to be oriented around, we want to add your voice, especially, you know, all, all the same rules apply. If you can customize, you found that they were quoted in an article, uh, they've got smart things that they've said before or posted, or you saw them in a webinar, or they did a keynote or conference session, anything that you can tie back to say, hey, we really think you've got some sharp things to uh, add to this conversation. Yeah, the exultative approach Certainly human nature uh, plays into that. And I, I think it's been said before me, everyone's favorite topic is themselves. We know ourselves so well, you know, kind of. It's subjective. But <laughs> I think also this is so smart because we're seeing a lot of resistance to engaging in anything that smells like a sales call. And I think we've gotten to the point where you know, email's tough, calling don't it, even tougher even tougher to get that one right yeah this is just a great intro that doesn't feel like you're going to be pressured a lot that's right so here's some of the things that help make this work better doing it in partnership with a, a conference in your sector in your industry so you've got either a major publisher which tends to also be the major conference host in your area 
and creating uh, like a sponsorship partnership with them so that you can have a neutral channel of creating visibility for this content, right? So they're your publisher. They're going to publish the recordings in this series, whatever you want to call the series. So that you can say, we've created a series in partnership with XYZ, and hopefully it's a well-recognized name in your industry to bring visibility to this topic or to move our sector forward in the following way, to have this critical dialogue, to foster a mindshare between CEOs and CFOs or you know, CIOs, like whoever they are in your industry, that you're basically acting as the brought to you by brand that's that's facilitating this critical dialogue in your industry. And if you're able to say, you know, we're in partnership with XYZ, right? That's that publisher, that conference host to foster this critical dialogue. We've already got, you know, name a few big names in, in the series. We'd really like to include you in the next round of interviews. That creates that neutrality that eliminates the smell of uh, a sales pitch. Now, of course, it is sales, but it's it's sales that's, both productive in the first place, right? So if you get that person in that conversation, you're definitely producing valuable content. But this is where that magic of converting a meaningful relationship that you were able to build because of the conversation you had with this person into a dialogue that can evolve into, well, we should probably talk about X and Y and Z that we've been working on with other people in this space. So when they get into that interview, that thought followership interview with you, you're going to be you know, ferociously taking the notes so that afterwards it can be like, you know, when you said this, it made me think of a couple things that we're doing with, you know, however you want to convert that dialogue. Okay. I mean, that's the magic of sales. The point is you can't really put the magic of sales into effect until you have a relationship going to, to put it into effect on. To make this really effective for the company that is doing the uh, reach out to ask for people to interview, it seems like it would be really smart to focus on these experts, but addressing a problem your product sells so that, yes, so that everything is moving in the right direction. Totally agree with that. Yes. It's actually like a, a central critical point. And a lot of people would have maybe some difficulty kind of imagining what they would center their conversation around, but it doesn't get hard. When you, when you look at some major themes, right? You can think of major themes like driving innovation, eliminating waste, building alliances, leading with purpose, mitigating risk, fostering like collaboration in the industry, diversity and inclusion. I mean, any one of those just slightly tweaked to your specific area becomes a, a really compelling dialogue to have with the experts in your industry. And what I've seen you re produce is just very premium. The equipment, the timing, the venue, everything is very orchestrated. So this isn't cheap. It isn't fast, but it's can not. you talk about some of the conversion rates you've been seeing? Well, the first conversion rate, uh, you know, is really on the emails. So like the outreach goes from your typical three to 5% uh, when you're sending those emails out to much better. I've seen as high as 23% in, in uh, the different outreach campaigns that I've done, people who are just eager to respond. And it's mostly, yes, it's not, I'm responding to tell you to F off. It's I'm responding because yes, I, I would like to add my voice to that very important conversation. And to be clear, that 23%, that's the response rate, not the open rate. Right. Response. So if, if people hear 23%, they're thinking, uh, you're thinking open rate. No, no, you need to be thinking response rate. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it was it was. There's a few things. So, like, I, I have gone as simple as the the subject line interview or requesting interview. Right? Those those two have been the strong subject lines for getting the kind of response rate that I'm talking about. And then, as far as conversion rates go, so you know, getting getting that first response and then getting that person scheduled for an interview. What we've done, what we focus on, is opportunities to have a whole lot of interviews happen in a row. And we find that that's the easiest thing to do when you do it at a conference event. So if you have major sort of national scale conference events in your industry, we set up a, uh, for the for the clients that we work with, we recommend they do like a 20 by 20 space at, at a minimum. I know some people go huge at conferences, but that's about, if we have a 20 by 20 space, we need about two thirds of that space. The other third can be can be like your sales side where you've got your table set up, your monitors, whatever, products on display. About two thirds of that space we set up for a four camera shoot, you know, two chairs between two ferns kind of a setup with the interview style going on. And that's it, right? So you bring the folks in, you mic them up, you sit them down, and you have an important conversation. This is another, like, don't blow it. Don't just sit down and, hey, what's going on? sit down and use the opportunity to draw from that individual, that expert, draw from them their actual expertise and do it in the topic that you promised to do it on so that other industry leaders can hear from this person, how are they tackling this important challenge? What's their view on this important issue? Because you're really trying to get two things out of a thought followership campaign. One is a great relationship with your prospects. Two is a whole lot of really strong content that is that is being delivered to your industry, brought to that industry by your brand. So I, I love this. And, and part of this is because we do this on a, I don't want to say a smaller scale because it's still really time intensive and expensive, but the, this very podcast, I've developed so many long-term relationships out of these yep. interviews. You get to know the people it's just a great way to continue the dialogue. I would love for you to touch on the conversion rates to eventual customers or sales, because I think that's what's really going to hook people in. Yeah. So here's what I'd say. First of all, you know, if even if you do like a two-day conference and you're doing 30-minute slots, you're not going to pack in thousands, right? So if, if you're in a B2B context where you need to be closing hundreds or thousands of deals in a quarter or in a year... This uh, you need to approach this in a different way that I've been talking about. What I'm talking about is for the people who have you know high ticket items, and they you know when they close a new client that's worth anywhere from let's say half million dollars on up. And if you if you get 50 new contracts in a year, you're gold, right? That's exactly the sweet spot that you want to be in. Uh, there's certainly elements of the strategy that work in a whole variety of circumstances, but because it's it's labor intensive and it's it's low volume, at least the way I'm describing it, you tend to need to have uh, like the high ticket items. So as far as conversion rates go, what I call a CQL, right? You've got SQL, MQL. I call a CQL, which is a campaign qualified lead, meaning somebody who is an appropriate target to go after for this. Yes, they would, they would, they fit all your potential buyer, right? They have something about them that you can count on them bringing value to the conversation, right? Uh, what I have found is that a CQL conversion rate of about 15% is pretty good, right? You can certainly do better, but I think you can rely on a conservative estimate of 15% converting. So let's say you have a, a conference, a two-day conference. You're going to have half-hour windows all throughout the day. So 
that'll give you, let's say, 14 windows to sit down and interview people, and you're gonna have two days of that, so somewhere around 30, and you're gonna convert 15% of that 30. So it, for, a, for the case study that I've recently published, we have a client whose total expenditure was about $550,000. That's for all the conference sponsorships, all the videography work, all the visibility for that content, etc. They're going to bring in uh, somewhere between 12 and 16 million in uh, total contract value, lifetime, lifetime value of the contracts. Plus, they did actually sit, sit some of the folks that they're in contract conversations with because they have like a 12-month sales cycle and they're looking to accelerate. So they both accelerate and expand because they're building a stronger relationship. And then they, they also included uh, a handful of folks that were uh, existing clients and they just wanted to have a deeper relationship and look to expand. So th their, their total projected revenues coming in for that $550,000 spend, like I said, between 12 and 16 million. That is so impressive. So for people out there with smaller ticket items, maybe smaller budget who can't scale, you know, I talk to a lot of people who want to start a podcast or live streaming or something along those lines. One of the first things I tell them is that you need to come up with a mission statement that solves a problem that's related to something your product does. The other piece of that is thinking through all of the logistics that go with that. Like you said, this isn't this isn't something that you can do well with minimal effort. So there needs to be some kind of production value put into it. Would you also say, since this is a long play, like most marketing things, <laughs> uh -huh. would you say that you should probably also plan on supplementing this with short-term play so your, star your salespeople don't feel like they're starving? <laughs> You know, that, I, I agree with that. I wouldn't say put it all in on, on thought fellowship and damned everything else. I do think you need to run this as a parallel strategy, although for many organizations, it would represent the bulk of their spend. As far as timing goes, what I would suggest is if you're going to pursue a thought fellowship campaign in, in the way that I'm describing, like conference-based, then aim to have your outreach begin about you know, maybe six to eight weeks ahead of that conference and start to sign up the people for the slots that you have available for interviews. So you're going to have those butts in that seat within six to eight weeks, right? So it's not a huge timeline before you're actually able to to see the fruits of the effort, right? So, wow, like that was the person I wanted in that seat and there they are sitting across from my CEO or whomever having an interview talking about really cool things right now. And then, you know, afterwards, you step up, you're the account owner for that for that individual. You step up, really appreciate you spending time with us today. You added some huge value. And again, this is where the magic of the sales conversion starts to take place. I love what you were talking about here. Can we get a chance to hear more from you about that? That sounded phenomenal and it's right on top of what we're doing, right? You're continuing with the exaltation but as I've said before, there's no silver bullet in marketing. There's no marketing so awesome that it's just going to sell the deal for you. It's, it, well, in particular with B2B marketing in the spaces I'm talking about, you still have to have the fundamentals. Are you doing the follow-up? Do you have the emails happening? You're in a really good position because A, you have literally, you can take a screen grab of that person sitting in the seat. I will tell you nothing lights somebody up like seeing a picture of themselves in the email that you send. 
Two, you, you're going to tell them you have an edited version of this video coming. You want them to have a look at it before you publish it so that they can provide their input on it before you create really strong visibility for this video. They'll be like, yes, that's an email I want. Great. I, and I'm glad you do want that. Is there some tactic that you can tell me to make sure an email gets to you? Because I'm sure there's going to be 100 emails coming to you from this conference. What can you tell me? Is there somebody you want me to copy? Right? You can ask them for the hacks to get to them because you're about to send them something that you know they want, right? And then once you get it published, you're going to take a couple of excerpts and you're going to push those on, on, let's say, LinkedIn or whatever social feeds you want to push them on. You can circle back and say, hey, your video is getting some great traction. We had talked about following up in the following ways. I mean, again, you're in the magic of sales at that point. So yeah, there's still a cycle, but, but the sales team is actively engaged within, like I said, six to eight weeks. Love it. Love it. So when it comes to, I've seen a lot of companies struggle with identifying their ICP, what problems they solve. And I, I had somebody state really eloquently why that is. So with messaging, you're effectively trying to attract someone who knows nothing about your product and a very concise statement you have all of this context walking into developing the messaging and it's really hard to remove yourself from that context and come up with copy that grabs somebody. This is where I feel it's really helpful to work with a consultant such as yourself or somebody who has less exposure. There's ah. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also yeah. tools like winter. It's a B2B messaging tool that you can send out different variables and people give you feedback in your ICP. Hmm. So there are things to try. I think I keep harping on the mission statement for whatever you're trying to do and how it needs to tie to your problem, because I think I see that being a pretty common gap and you can't have that gap when you run this tactic. It's true. You know, the, this idea of being a purpose-driven organization does, does play into this, right? So what impact are you seeking to create in the world? What's your vision of the future that you're going to accomplish? And this is, I think we, we touched on this because we got into human needs in our last conversation and then over to NBC. Having a sense of the impact the organization seeks to create upon the world has massive benefits internally, externally, uh, employee engagement, shareholder returns. I mean, the, the, the data that's come back on the value of being purpose-driven is really compelling. So if, if you haven't done that work first, I totally am aligned with you. Uh, like, do that first because it won't you won't get as much power out of a thought followership campaign if you haven't come up with your own company's purpose because that really needs to be like if you think about a Venn diagram of overlap, what you're aiming to accomplish with the dialogue that you're hosting, like through a thought, a thought fellowship campaign and your company's purpose, that overlap needs to be almost completely overlapped. Well, we were talking about the importance of being purpose-driven in the campaign, right? And, and that, that has to align with the product or the service or the solution that you're putting in the marketplace. If you If you make them unrelated or somehow too tangential, it's like, you're that whole, like I said, the magic of sales becomes a heavy, heavy lift, right? How do I convert the fact this guy sat down and talked about diversity and inclusion and our company's not about that at all, right? Like, don't do that. <laughs> don't create a huge disconnect between your company's purpose and your thought fellowship campaign. Right. But I, I also wouldn't shy away from embracing like think of it as a Venn diagram. The mission needs to overlap with what you're doing, but it can tackle a much more ambitious 
issue. So for example, you know, just to give examples, the revenue marketing report, our goal is to help operations professionals find a path to executive leadership. Part of that, particularly in marketing, is understanding the data and how to interpret it, which is what Caliber Mind does really well. So we did this overlap thing that seems to work pretty well for us. Do you have other examples that show how those links are made between the problem and the mission? Yeah. So in the case study that I published, this is, I think, a pretty good example. So this is an organization that has solutions in data analytics and automation for the back office of American healthcare, right? So that whole machination of insurance, Medicare, Medicaid, government payers, per personal payers, like healthcare providers. I mean, it's just a crazy, huge, super inefficient machine. <laughs> and there's a, there's an industry, a whole industry that exists around that space. And it has been largely considered to be like 10 or 20 years behind in terms of innovation, right? But obviously this client is an innovator, right? So they create AI, machine learning, robotic process automation. So what do they want to do? They want to foster a conversation about not only creating visibility for innovation that's taking place in the back office of American healthcare, but a mind share between large health system leaders to talk about driving innovation forward in this critical sector of the American economy. How do you find innovative people? How do you create an environment that supports their, their ability to innovate? How do you make it safe to fail? What kind of innovation things are happening in your own uh, in your own organization, what are you doing to drive that forward? Have you ever had a failure you want to talk about and how did you address that, right? So let's have the system leaders in American healthcare talking to each other about how we're going to do a better job to innovate because it's clear that we've reached a critical time. And that, that overlap is solid for that client, right? From what they do. Yeah, it's on the nose. On the nose, yeah. Just like that. But it's also broad enough that you're not going to be talking about the same thing every time you talk to somebody. It's broad enough that you can attack it from a bunch of different angles and talk about different aspects. So it's not repetitive to the people actually consuming the content. You're thinking of it from two standpoints. is one, engaging with your prospective buyer and offering this thought leader, you're also producing this high quality content that's going to be consumed by those same, that same population. That's totally right. And if you, you know, you do a good job of, so I use Temi, Temi, which is a, um, a great tool to, to turn a video into a transcript. Temi does a pretty darn good job and it's crazy affordable. Rev.com is another um, like one that has an that. automated yep. transcription that's super cheap and accurate. Super cheap. Turns it right around. Very accurate. So you can use this to find great nuggets, both in written and in video form, right? So you could just kind of scan that real quick. Ooh, that's a great statement. That's a great statement. So whether you want to create your next blog post or you're, you're starting to do video content, you're going to get, if you go through a, like a full thought followership campaign, you should get hundreds of clips. Not of you guys talking about how awesome and smart you are, but of the industry talking about Really important things that industry wants to hear brought to you by you guys. Love it. Love it. Is there anything else you want to touch on about the strategy before uh, we, we tell people where to find you in your case study? Um, let's just cover the quick pro tips. 
like how to, how to make sure you, it, it works well. So the first thing is definitely tight coordination between marketing and sales. If sales doesn't have any idea what's happening and you get the right person in that seat across from your CEO, it's just going to, that's where it's just going to fall apart. It either, it either takes off from there or falls apart right from that moment. I would say definitely give your interviewees everything that it takes for them to shine as solid experts, right? So you're going to prepare them ahead of time, give them the questions, prep them, right? Like give them the, give them the tools and preparation and white glove treatment to just totally crush it as the, as your experts. Definitely go for like, if you're doing the conference route, you know, pre-show, post-show, like team huddles, let's huddle up, talk about what we're doing. How's this going to work? What are we going to do? Who's going to meet this person at a time? Who's meeting them afterwards? How do we start that magic of converting? And then have a solid plan for sharing your content, right? A calendar, who's going to be responsible for the, doing the Temi thing? Who's going to find the clips? Who's going to find the quotes? How are we putting it together? How are we slotting this into our, our content plan after we've got all these recordings together. So I think those are some of the pro tips that I would recommend. I really appreciate that you touched on the importance of pre-interview. When I was first building this podcast, I actually lost my first guest because it, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what the process should be. I didn't know... So now we have a 15-minute brainstorm on topics and agenda. We have the, the pro tips all lined out, all of that good stuff. It was a painful way to learn. <laughs> so learn, learn from us. Don't repeat what we did. <laughs> okay, so we will include a link to your case study in the show notes. And Cole, thank you for being here again. Where can people find you online? So I'm at scrappyafsolutions.com. Easy to find me also on LinkedIn, Colt Briner. I think I'm the only one on LinkedIn. So for those of you listening who enjoy the show, please rate, review, subscribe, tell two friends. And for those of you who want more great content like this, check out calibermind.com. 